1: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. And a heads up this episode contains sensitive content that may be upsetting for some listeners. Please read the warning in the show notes before listening to the episode.
2: You're listening to My Millennial Money. My name is Jess, or you can call me JK. I'm a previous listener of the show turned podcast producer and since having a baby recently i'm now a content creator at simo and today we're talking about how to manage money during the baby making slash family growing slash parental leave period and we have a special guest joining us today friend of the show beck welcome beck Thank you very much for having me. You are actually uh, an old guest of the show. You've been on before. You were on episode 330, sharing a bit about your experience with your first child. Yep,
0: a little while ago now.
2: A little while back and you went into all the details listing all of the costs involved with your first child, which is really interesting. So if you want to... Have a listen to that. Flick back in your podcast player and find her episode there. Beck is also a financial advisor, so she will be the money brains in our chat today. <laughs> Always happy to be referred to as that. <laughs> and um, forgive us if we are a little bit tongue-tied today. We have both had absolute shocker nights with our kids leading up to this today. <laughs> so there's a bit of mum brain slash parent brain going on today. We'll do our best. A little bit of fog. <laughs> there is a little bit of fog in the room, but we'll do our best to clear it. Before we get going, just a trigger warning, please note that this episode covers sensitive topics relating to fertility and childbirth, which could be a touch point for some of our listeners. We encourage you, please, to seek the support of EGP GP if you're experiencing issues in this space. Um, listening to this episode may not be the most helpful thing, and that's okay. Skip along to the next episode or check out something on a different one of our shows, maybe My Millennial Investor, which is a short-form podcast Glenn hosts all about investing. So what we're going to do today is we're going to walk through our own personal experiences in having babies, growing our families, taking leave, so we can help many of our listeners who might be planning a family and keen to get some tips on How on earth do you manage money when your income's going up, down, left and right? So we'll be sharing, I guess, information that's relevant to all parents. It's not just mums, this is families. How do you manage, you know, your income shifting as you take leave, as you, you know, you might be on maternity leave, paternity leave. Um, How do you manage money? In such a crazy time, so Beck, we might start with you. Could you tell us a little bit about your family? Who is in your family? Maybe their ages, so we can picture how cute they are in our minds. Go for it.
0: Oh, uh, well, me, team captain. Uh, my lovely husband Eric, and we have two little ones. So a one-year-old Della, who is the source of the fog today, <laughs> and also two and a half-year-old Jeffrey, who is a little tornado. I love that. Who doesn't love a tornado? He is. He's a keeper. He's a keeper.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's always entertainment in the house when you have a tornado. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so short age gap between the two of them, but they certainly keep us entertained. That's
2: good fun. And what was your, kind of, I guess, a general overview of your time having the kids from, you know, knowing that you're pregnant at the beginning of the whole journey to, Did you work right up until it? Did you have a great birth, a bad birth? What was postpartum like? Was it up, down? Sort of give us a general overview of your
0: experience. Yeah, it's been a full-on three-ish years in terms of a continuous period of either being pregnant and or breastfeeding. Uh, So I fell pregnant in early 2019 and I had a really lovely pregnancy after having experienced a miscarriage in the past Uh, But my pregnancy with my son was pretty crazy and he was born at the end of 2019 via a emergency cesarean. So, he was in quite a lot of distress. He got himself all muddled up with the umbilical cord and a couple of hours after arriving at the hospital, suddenly we were holding a baby and it was hectic. Uh, But he he was healthy um, and Even though it was quite a traumatic experience to have that caesarean, I healed as well as I could have, Um, and I looked after my mental health as well as my physical health, which really helped through that postpartum experience. Uh, Then I really immersed myself in those early few months because I had always intended a relatively short parental leave period, and I returned to work at about four and a half months uh postpartum. Um and then I was pregnant four and a half months later after that. Woo! woo! Uh, yep. So my husband and I, we are efficient people. We <laughs> get it done. We wanted to get it done. We wanted to uh to use my husband's engineering language. We wanted to minimize the disruption in our household. Uh so that was yeah we were we were very fortunate in terms of conceiving again quite quickly. Um, That was the sort of gap that my obstetrician had advised to try for a VBAC, which is a vaginal birth after cesarean. So that was something I really wanted. So, yeah, went again. I went again, had a, again, pretty good pregnancy Um, and then had quite a long early labour. I thought I was having the baby on... The Wednesday, and she was born the following Tuesday. Um, so that was wow. that was the opposite experience. But um, I am delighted to say that I was successful. I had a VBAC, and she was born naturally. Um, and yeah, it was it was just the most incredible experience of my life, to be really frank. <laughs> um, and yeah, Della came along and, and completed our family. Amazing, and even between
2: two babies born in the same family, you see how different the pregnancy, birth, postpartum period, how different every kid is, how different every pregnancy is. And that's, I guess, a note for listeners. Like this is not to say that, you know, one root is better than another. They're just different. Every kid is different. Every process for every person is different. There are so many variables
0: in absolutely family growing space. So, you know. My mantra when I was pregnant um, with, with Del and certainly since she's come along was, You know nothing, Jon Snow. I've said it a thousand times because anytime you think you've got a bearing on something because you're like, oh, yeah, I've done this before, it's like, no, you don't (laughs) know what you're talking about. You haven't done this with two kids before. You haven't done it with this child. You haven't done it with a toddler. Everything is different. Um, And, yes, there is useful knowledge from having had, you know, some experience before, but they're different children. You're a totally. different person. That's it. Yeah, You know you're coming, nothing. <laughs> you're coming at it so differently each time because first
2: time is that real deep plunge into first time parenthood where it's like, yikes, how on earth do you do this? And they show you a little bit, but there's a lot they don't show you. And, and then second time around, you're like, oh, yeah, I've read the guidebook on this. I know. And then you've got a totally different kid with mm-hmm. totally different needs. And as a family, you look so different. So,
0: yeah, it keeps you on your toes. Yeah. And, I mean, then you overlay sort of the really obvious differences, like it's a different birth. Or it's a, I think they're too young for gender to be a, a, a difference now, but, like, that will be a factor as they, yes. they get older and, um, you know, different height, different weight, different uh, style of development. Yeah, very different. And then their own personalities
2: as well, yeah. which you come up against every day. <laughs> <laughs> That's the stubborn one, and uh she's the driven
0: one, and yeah, yep, I love it so good, such a ride, isn't it? It's great <laughs> yeah, it It keeps life interesting, and i I found that mantra to be very helpful uh because it it just keeps you out of sort of out of trouble mentally,
2: yeah. Yeah, that's good. I love I love a good mantra. So for you, you explained in uh, the episode you did with Glenn and in your blog that you uh, went down the private healthcare route. And that's a big question that comes up in our community. A lot of people saying, is it worth it? What's different about it to going through the public healthcare system? Could you explain to us what it was like for you going through the private system and some of the factors that were... Um, why you went down that road and, yeah, I guess things that people might need to keep in mind if they're going to go down the private route.
0: Yeah, but, and there's a whole host of factors. Some are really deep and meaningful and some are really superficial. For To start with, the continuity of care was a very important piece for me. Uh, the obstetrician that I worked with assisted me with my miscarriage through to she Pulled Jeffrey out of my stomach to she helped me pull Della out of um, the other exit. (laughs) And and so to have someone the whole way through was, was incredibly valuable. There was definitely a component this most recent birth that I was trying for a VBAC and so there are some additional risks associated with that. Um, And that's, again, why we were really comfortable to go straight back into that private system and and pay the premium. There was some additional considerations of the COVID landscape and to have access to someone who would physically put their hands on you quite regularly through your pregnancy, very, very important. Like I didn't have any telehealth appointments. I was seeing somebody in the flesh uh, very regularly right through to, you know, birthing in a hospital that I felt familiar with, uh, having a space for my husband to sleep next to me. That's a big and, one for a lot of people. And it's a huge one. And then there's some additional COVID overlays with that, right through to one of the rewards for effort of having my successful feedback was that we could get transferred to, you know, a nice hotel. There was really nice food there. So, it, yeah, it, it, it ranged um, <laughs> yeah. in terms of level of importance. Um, and you know even something like the hospital that I wanted to to birth in was was something important to me. Um, I wanted to have a, a baby at Francis Perry. Funnily enough, it's also my middle name is Francis. So I just felt like this sense of kinship with this hospital completely irrational. Um (laughs) but also knowing that then if uh you know my birth didn't go to plan and you know my uterus exploded, that I could easily be transferred to the women's and that I would go back into the public system and have top notch care. So it was sort of quite a holistic approach from, you know, absolute worst case scenario to I've heard there's a really nice grain salad at the Hyatt and I'd like to have that.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is the thing. This is not, there's no one way to have babies. This is choose your own adventure. And if, if going down that road, you know, ticks your value boxes, then do it because yeah, you, you might want, actually, no, I want to have a couple of days rest and I want somewhere for hubby or my partner to have a nap because they've been through the all night, you know, the, the labor as much as you have. And if that's important to you, then look into that option. So in terms of, um, I guess the stages of costs, I guess a lot of people say, oh, so what do I have to pay for? Is it just the private health insurance part? Do I then have other costs on top of that? What were some of the, the sort of the structural costs in the timeline that you experienced?
0: So the first one that you're going to experience will be that private health insurance. So because I was quite um, methodical in terms of how I tackled it, The like the day my son was born, I downgraded my health insurance, and so I, I went down a level, and then calculated that I'd need to upgrade it about four months before conceiving the second time around, and so then went back up a notch. Um, wow. Okay. So that I didn't have any extra months of higher premiums, and then and paid those those premiums. Uh, through the waiting period and through the pregnancy as well. Uh, the obstetrician expenses were were staged from memory sort of about three-ish months and maybe six months um, in, t- in terms of a couple of blocks. Um, and then the actual private scans were something that were quite present throughout the pregnancy and, um, you know, a couple of hundred dollars, three, $400 a pop, uh, at least half a dozen scans Interestingly, this time around, having had a successful uh, birth, I was considerably less anxious. So I did actually have less scans this time than I had had when I was pregnant with my son. So, uh, yeah, that was a a beneficial cost saving uh, (laughs) of having had, um, you know, a a healthy baby. Yeah. I think that also vouches
2: for, like, if you need the reassurance of more scans and you have the ability to organize that, like do it because your health comes first and it's not just you, it's the health of you and your baby. So take those options if they're there, if that helps you through that journey, for sure. Just take the option.
0: Absolutely. But regardless of public versus private, if particularly in the later stages of pregnancy, if you have any uncertainty, you go to the hospital and they will monitor you and your baby. And so that the system that you're operating in does not matter there that care is available to every woman and uh, every baby and it's definitely something that I did avail myself of in the the later stages when you're like oh baby's not moving as much as she normally would I'd love someone to check this out so that is uh, that is essentially a free service that the hospitals do provide in addition to you know a formal scan
2: yeah amazing Cool. Well, thank you for outlining that because I know a lot of people in our community are just, it seems a bit of a mystery as to what's involved and they might go start going through the process and go, wow, I wasn't expecting that cost. So um, we might link to your blog, your first blog for your first um, child in these notes again, just so people, if they want to go back and have a look at, you know, exactly what you tallied up so they can see in real practical numbers um, what you um, had to kind of outlay throughout that process, that's a really helpful thing for people to reference. Um, do you have any specific tips or thoughts or tricks as to, you know, how you can manage money in a time where, you know, you're winding down work and then you're not working for a bit and then you have the baby and then paid parental leave kind of kicks in, but there's some lags in time there. And, um, there might be some overarching tips that you found really helpful for your situation. What kind of practical things with money did you find to be helpful?
0: Yeah, well, on that point as well, some people are using unpaid parental leave as well. So that's not always kicking in. I certainly getting organized. The the sooner you can be thinking about this, calculating what you may uh, need for for you personally, for your family, for your baby, the easier it is. You know, if you're saving to have a baby when you're 6 weeks pregnant <laughs> then there's a lot of pressure on the remaining time remaining time of that pregnancy if you're saving 2 or 3 years out then it's you know it's a much much easier. So, having a rough framework of what you think you might need, saving that cash or investing that that money if it's sort of several years in, in advance so that you can be in a strongest position as possible because believe me and you know this, Jess, there is more than enough things to worry about when you are pregnant. If you are on the front foot, money does not have to be one of them. Yeah, 100%. So, if you can relieve that pressure... Take one thing Relieve off it. your <laughs> plate. Like there is a, you will find new depths of your anxiety that you never knew oh, existed. <laughs> and, so, and that's even before the baby comes. Um, yep. So do, do the work essentially. And, yep. you know, I spoke last time with Glenn and, and John about it. It's, it's not just saving cash for your pregnancy and early postpartum. It's making sure you've got a cash buffer above and beyond those funds in case you know what hits the fan. It's making sure your insurances are up to date. It's uh, making sure that you've done the numbers on what your household cash flow is going to look like during a period of parental leave and loss of income. Uh, you know, recently with one of my clients, she's uh, just coming to the end of her second trimester looking to apply for new insurances, but she has gestational diabetes. So she actually can't apply for assurances until the baby is born. So, again, if we have those conversations earlier in the piece, we are making ourselves as as robust as possible um, and and just simplifying things for later down the track.
2: Yeah, totally. And I think that comes back to that concept of goals and if your family has this goal of, yeah, we want to try for a family and you never know how it'll go, but if you want to give it a crack, like know, have the conversation. Don't be afraid to say, yeah, actually I would love to have a child, some kids, you know, what are you what are your thoughts? How can we plan together to make that a workable goal? Should we start putting money away, even if we are younger or we want to wait a bit or whatever it is, have those conversations. Know what you value and align your money and your investing with with those goals. Um so yeah, you're you're starting to make progress. So when you get there, like you say, you're not going, oh my goodness we are you know we're not financially prepared for this or we're under the pressure of a baby that doesn't sleep and and we're really struggling you know week on week with cash flow and and now suddenly the fridge dies and we need to replace the fridge and oh man cuz it collides everything collides like shout out to all the parents out there it's hard yakka. and when you're in the depths of especially those first few early years it's really tough um and i i honestly can't even imagine how like single parents do this i on salute you guys so much because it is such a tough time having kids being responsible and making sure you look after yourself in that process that everybody's well looked after
0: is is just such a lot of work so relieve the pressure absolutely and you, because you touched on it before you don't know what's going to happen there is a very very broad spectrum of both things going to plan and things not going to plan and so this is a category of, of life where money won't solve everything, but it can make a lot of things easier. And so being financially prepared for something, whether that something is, okay, I now actually need to get a lactation consultant because breastfeeding is diabolical or we need to jump to the front of the queue with a pediatrician. And we were public, but now we want to go private. Um, we need a sleep consultant, Uh the baby hates this pram but he sleeps in my friend's plan so let's let's change prams <laughs> um it's suddenly like we're absolutely knackered and eating or cooking is just beyond us so we're we're getting food delivered whatever it is or some variation combination of all of those things you know this time around i saw uh, the women's health physio so many t- more times than I had previously. I had to see a physiotherapist because my back had just lost the plot. And yeah, you don't know what it's going to look like, but you can you can just about bet your bottom dollar there will be something or some things that you can alleviate if you've got some money to, to tackle these problems. Totally.
2: Uh, one of my key points that I wanted to bring up today was the idea of having a grace fund. So that could be you know, $200 or it could be more, whatever you can put aside, which is just just a lifesaver fun for those moments where, you know, baby's crying, you haven't slept, partner's got the flu, everything's falling down. <laughs> And you look at each other and go, who's going to do dinner? And you go, not me. Let's just call pizza. Let's just get pizza. We've got money there. Let's do it. And and similar thing, I'll, I'll share a bit about my story soon. Like I needed to get some medication and I needed some therapy during my pregnancy. And I didn't see that coming at all. So having cash there meant that, okay, I've, I've got the resources here. I can do this. I can support myself through this process and I can relieve that pressure. I'm I, I'm getting the support that I need to get through this time. So, yeah. I'm fully with
0: you on this. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was seeing, regularly seeing a dermatologist through one of my pregnancies because my skin after 30 odd years decided it was allergic to sunscreen. And like, what? Like, there's, (laughs) you know, it. Like I said, the spectrum is so broad, but the stakes are higher. You are vulnerable. Your resilience levels are so much lower. And so having capacity to support yourself, um, often when people think of, you know, self-care through pregnancy and early postpartum, they're they're talking really lovely, fluffy stuff. and. And we're forgetting this basic infrastructure to function yep. and, and survive. <laughs> yeah. And it's like we, we, we genuinely need resources to sort that out. And then if I get a chance to do something lovely on top of that, that that's a bonus. That's it.
2: That's it. So you got to look after the big rocks. There's some really key big rocks. You've got to give yourselves a break. And that might mean, you know, some money put aside to get, you know, bub number one babysat for an afternoon so you can just – Have a break. You can just go look at the sky for half a day, not have to worry about feeding, sleeping, take a break. It's so important. Yeah, well, I
0: I had left, that's the wrong um, word, but I kept, that's a better one, I kept my son in childcare all through my parental leave period because those few days a week where I only had a newborn baby to deal with were critical Um, and, and so it felt a little bit outrageous to still be spending several hundred dollars a week on childcare when I was was at home but it was acknowledging that's actually part of the infrastructure to support our family during that time Uh, give him some normality give me a reprieve give me a chance to to heal and bond with my new baby as well yeah those things are so
2: important we're going to take a quick break and when we come back um, I'll share a little bit about my family and we'll keep talking through some tips and tricks for managing money Okay. Welcome back. Uh, we're joined by our lovely friend Beck, who is a mum of two, and she's shared a little bit about her family. We're going to keep talking about how to manage money through the family growing period. Relevant to mums and dads alike. It's not just mums because dads carry a lot in this time as well. Dads and partners, I should say, of all different shapes, sizes. Um, and I love, actually, I do love seeing more and more in conversation. Um, dads particularly saying, actually, you know what? I want to be, considered the, the main carer for our bub during parental leave. That's a legitimate position for a lot of parents. There are cases where one partner might earn more than another and it actually makes sense for the other one to be primary carer. so you
0: know food for thought. Well also irrespective of who earns what just who wants to be that exactly role and uh, yeah what what they want or need to bring to the table. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I love those
2: discussions. It's cool to challenge what we consider to be the norm, I think. Um, And I guess, you know, for families that are planning, you know, starting to plan their family life, have that conversation. Go, hey, do you want to be at home? Do I want to be at home? Do we both equally want to do it? How do we want to split this? You know, how would we like to spend our family time? What do we want it to look like? So, have that discussion. So, I'm I'm going to share a little bit about my family. So, we can kind of just get an understanding of the breadth of experience that you know parents go through with little kids. Um, I also have two little kids. I've got a three-year-old boy and a nine-month-old boy. It was my lovely nine-month-old that had an absolute shocker night last night. Thanks, little buddy. Um, and yeah, I I went through the public system, so I guess just a little bit of like alternative to what stories. I went through the public system, which was just going through the public hospital in my town here in Newcastle. And um, yeah, I, I had my eldest in 2019, so pre-pandemic baby. and um, yeah he was um, he was the one that flung me deep into the deep end of parenting uh, where you realize, wow, how do you do this? Uh, this, is, this is a lot of work and this is so different to anything I've ever done before. And um, at the time, we, my, my husband and I, we had just come off the back of paying off all of our consumer debts. We had a couple of credit cards and a personal loan, which we'd managed to knock out of the park. But we were back at zero. So, we weren't particularly cash heavy. My husband had been studying his master's. So, we were off the back of study as well, which, you know, made things a little more challenging in some ways. So... I, I gave birth and the, at the time, the pregnancy didn't feel straightforward. I guess it's your first experience. But on reflection, it was a very sh- straightforward pregnancy. We were very lucky in that sense. And yeah, I had a, na- a natural birth and he was healthy from day dot nice and strong. And my postpartum period wasn't too crazy. It was pretty straightforward. Um, I was self-employed at the time. So um, when I did go on um, parental leave, I was getting the paid parental leave um, sent to me directly. And we'll talk about some of those, a few of those details later on. But um, yeah, that was sort of my first experience with paid parental leave. And then I went back to – I was a gigging musician at the time, so I went back to gigs at about five months. And um, I don't know what that first time – for you, bet going back to work that first day where you're like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be gone for this long. Are they going to cry the whole time? Are they going to feed properly? Are they going to sleep? And um, my breasts going to explode yep. whilst this? Yep. <laughs> I was breastfeeding as well and I'm at the gig playing and I'm like, oh man, this is such an experience. <laughs> so I did that with my eldest um, and then actually I was listening to the show. I was walking my son in the pram every day around the block doing our daily routine, trying to get a nap in the pram and I was listening to My Millennial Money because We just didn't have any money management structure and we needed it. And we knew that buying a house, for example, was something we wanted to do. So we needed to sort of get that under control and get educated. And so I was listening to the show and then I started working with with Glenn when my oldest was 10 months old. So, um, yeah, I was helping produce the shows for a little while. And um, then, yeah, I worked really hard between the two boys and uh, then, yeah, start of 2021, I got pregnant with our second little guy, Kelly. Um, but uh, sort of in the first trimester of that, no, actually second trimester of that pregnancy, I was diagnosed with a rare kidney condition and um, it just came out of the blue. Totally unexpected. I had no idea that I had it. A couple of routine pregnancy tests looked a bit off. So my GP followed up. And true enough, um, I had to have a kidney biopsy when I was 17 weeks pregnant, which was pretty scary. And um, yeah, definitely not something I saw coming. And the following week, I had to start injecting myself with blood thinners for the next six months, all the way up to birth and then six weeks after. So financially there were a few things that we had to tweak in order to be able to afford that medication. I had to learn how to inject myself in the stomach, which when you've got a big pregnant belly is a, it's a feat. It's an interesting experience. So yeah, it was, it was pretty traumatic and happening in a pandemic, it it, there were just lots of layers of yikes to it. And Mm. I, I needed a therapist at the time because I just couldn't get my head around it. I think, you know, we'd been through so much pandemic by that point, and 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 just all of it culminated at once. It was just like this is too much for me to handle, and I need to talk this through. And for anybody that does need to see a therapist throughout, you know, any part of growing your family, there are therapists. Available that s- specify in like a specific to that kind of area. So family growing, that could be you know, pregnancy, birth, um, postpartum related. There are therapists that specialise in that. So if that's what you need, see if you can source that in your area. They're really helpful. And yeah, for me, it was it was just the support that I needed to kind of process everything. So, yeah, I gave birth to him, I was induced, which was an experience. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know if I'd want to do that again, but hey, you know, it's all part of this crazy journey that is having babies. Um, but he's yeah very healthy, very strong, very grateful. And then so they're coming out the other side of birth, it was um, part of the process was kind of getting my head around my condition, what it was, how to be treated, when I wasn't pregnant. And um yeah, jumping into early newbornness again. so yeah and well you're still there, still not sleeping, all that fun stuff. Um, but yeah, I've been very lucky that you know I've been able to conceive you know, quite easily both times. I know that that's not the case for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, I had a really great experience. We went through the public system. Um, and in terms of costs, I know that people ask about, you know, do you pay for anything? Um, we didn't pay for anything. Um, I Every time I would have appointments and particularly my second pregnancy, I had a lot of appointments. Uh, I was living at the hospital, lots of scans, seeing lots of specialists. Um, I would just be signing Medicare forms basically at the front desk every time. Um, and when I look at my Medicare register on MyGov, I can see all of the times I was in there and who processed samples I was you know doing blood tests and urine tests all you know left right and center and um, yeah I had the most amazing care and like you said Beck, if at any point in your pregnancy it doesn't matter what system you go through there's always a healthcare professional there who will see you and you know if you're afraid about Bubby not moving or if you're afraid about how you're feeling there's always somebody there that you can go and see and that's I think such an amazing part of our healthcare options in Australia. It doesn't matter who you see or which path you go down. There's always somebody there who will help you. So, you know, call out, ask for help, go in, waltz up. And I guess I, I would say if you're in a, an area which has a public hospital and you're looking into that option, you can call them. Um, I did a hospital tour first time around, which was very helpful. Uh, it was free and we walked into a birth suite and we could literally ask about any of the equipment. You look around the room and you go, what the heck is that? What is that supposed to do? You can do that kind of thing. So call your local um public hospital and ask them, you know, what are your maternity services like? What um, midwife teams or OB teams do you have? Um, Because first time around for me with a fairly straightforward birth, I was looked after by sort of one of the sort of mainstream midwife teams, but with my second, it became high risk. So I was looked after the high risk midwife team. So they had, you know, an array of options as to which clinics you would go to and who you would see. And with public hospitals, I know some people are concerned about, you know, the continuity of care aspect. Will you be seeing, you know, different people every single time? And that is an aspect of that system. So, I, in, in both instances, there was one sort of rotation of midwives that I would see. And I probably met all of them. And one of them would be in the room when I delivered. And you didn't know which one. So, that's something to factor in. And if that if that is uh, an important factor for you, then, you know, consider all your options. Um, And likewise, with the high risk team, it was a rotation of midwives who I saw every time I went in. And the one who was in the room on the day when I gave birth was one that I had met in one of my appointments. So, um, I know that in some cases, you know, if you happen to come in uh, at a random time, you know, early in the morning, and you might not have met the, the midwife or the doctor in your room and there were a few people in the room when I gave birth both times that I hadn't met but they do introduce themselves to you and usually you'll know, you know, if the the teams there have a great reputation that all they care about is your care. So, you know, you're not you're not being thrown a stranger who doesn't know how to look after you. They do know how to look after you and, yeah, they're in the room. They're there. They're, they're, they're all about you and making sure that you and Bubby are healthy. So, yeah, I experienced... Great things in the public system, and I would 100% vouch for it. So, yeah, that's that's an option that I know a lot of people take, and um, yeah, I don't think you've got anything to lose by going down the public route. So, in terms of um, tips and tricks, I had a few kind of little things that we found to be really helpful. We pretended to live off like one income, and that was in, in our case that was my husband's income. So we knew that his income was going to be the most consistent. So we said, okay, let's sort of use that as the baseline for our expenses and we'll do our best to get everything under that and we'll try and live off that for the next couple of years. So anything that I earned on top of that was kind of just bonus. Um, that might be savings, that might just be, you know, we might be able to upgrade a pram or something or if there was something we wanted to buy, um, you know, we'd have the option to do that with anything that that I earned one that we have already touched on is like having buffers of funds. Having an emergency fund is so, so helpful because um, we didn't actually have an emergency fund first time around, but we did second time. And like the fridge died, the microwave died, my husband's motorbike got flooded, the kettle died, the toaster died. So many things just stopped working. And if we didn't have our emergency fund, we wouldn't have been able to to get those necessary items to help sterilise baby bottles and all that stuff. So having an emergency fund is one of my my biggest tips. Um, for some people as well, like you'll know based on, you know, the basic sort of parameters of paid parental leave, they cover you in Australia for 18 weeks. But you might think, actually, I I want a little bit longer. So for what I did second time around was I saved a couple of extra months' worth of of um, just sort of pocket savings. I just sort of popped it away and went, I've got the option there to take a little bit of extra time off if I need it. If I get to the end of paid parental leave and I'm not quite ready to go back to work, there's the option there to take a little bit more time. So that was, that was something I did that was helpful. Um, another thing that could be an option for people is looking into if you're if you're coming out of maybe the postpartum period and you're looking into childcare, things like family daycares can be a little bit cheaper. Um, with our eldest, I, we put him in family daycare first, and that suited our budget a little bit better. And since then, he's now moved to a big centre, um, but. There are, you know, depending on where you are, there's there's like Facebook groups where people recommend family daycares and they're all accredited through um, local organisations. So the one my son was in was accredited through the local council. So they do all of the safety checks and they're not like dodgy setups. They're like proper, like authentic places you can take your children for childcare. So look into that if that's something you need to do. And my final point is there's so much baby stuff you can get for free or secondhand and even if you just ask your friends and say, hey, do you have anything that you don't need anymore? Chuck it our way. Um, shout out to my best friend, Mel. She's had three kids and she gave me bags and bags and bags of kids' clothes. And I've used pretty much all of it. And there's he- heaps of lovely people out there who have stuff that, you know, kids grow out of stuff so quickly or they've, you know, they've, they've finished having kids and they've got a cot or they've got a pram. Like, ask around because people are very generous when you have babies and Um, Yeah, there's lots of stuff on like Facebook Marketplace that you can get super cheap, you know, um, change tables, cots, everything. So, you know, don't be afraid to, to use
0: stuff from people who are very generous. Absolutely. And for most people trying to move their stuff on, they just want it out of their house because they've probably gotten, you know, they need to get rid of the cock because they've got a a bed that's come or whatever it is. So they're like, please take this off my hands. Help me empty my house. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you. Especially toys. Oh, yikes.
2: You can accumulate toys so easily. So I guess for people who are listening who are thinking, okay, so where do I go next? What do I need to look at? What do I need to plan? I think... Some of the things we've touched on like have the conversation with your family, if that's your partner, your husband, your wife. Have the conversation. Do we want to have kids? Is this something we want to try? You know, you don't know how to go but it, you can start planning for it. So, you know, you can make sure that you're getting your money systems in order and, you know, if you can get rid of recurring payments like debts and credit cards and personal loans and, you know, and create a bit of a cash buffer, then totally do it. So have those discussions. Um, and there's a lot of helpful things available through um, government schemes as well. So um, there's a couple of key things, um, paid parental leave, that's sort of the name of the, I guess, the the cash that's provided throughout what most people would call a parental leave period or maternity leave. That comes from the government and it can be paid through your employer or to you directly, um, just depends on your situation. And they'll assess like, your, sort of like a work test and an income test that they do. Is that right, Beck? I think
0: that's Yeah, think absolutely. That right. And a lot of people think that they don't work enough to qualify, but it is a, a simple test. Um, and and a lot of people would be pleasantly surprised to see that they they do actually work enough in the year before they have a child to, to qualify.
2: Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, check that out. Um, a lot of information on these sorts of things is available on the Services Australia website. Um. The details of how many weeks you get and like what's included in the test does change from time to time, so just jump online. It's probably best to get the most up-to-date information direct from source, so go to Services Australia online or give them a call. Um, There's also the dad and partner pay, um, which is a two-week lump sum. I think it's minimum wage, which is just paid directly to the dad or the partner. Um, So that's one to, to check out as well. You may be eligible for and then in terms of, you know, once you've had the baby and you're looking at things after that time, there's the childcare subsidy, um, which, uh, again, read up the details, but there's um, there's actually a simple quiz on the Centrelink portal on mygov that you can do. And it'll ask you some sort of basic prompt questions for who's in your family, you know, are you the primary carer, who's the other parent. They'll ask some basic questions and they can let you know whether you're eligible for all of these different things, which is handy. Um, so, yeah, the childcare subsidy and the sort of the rough idea of how that works is like you might find a, a daycare or a um, care facility that you want your, your kids to go into and you can contact them and say, hey, you know, do you have any space for my child? love to send them to your centre and then you'll make your application through Centrelink and they'll do their assessment and so the centre and Centrelink will talk and the government will say, hey, we'll cover this much of the fees Um, and yeah, so those sorts of arrangements, you've kind of got to talk to both parties, get them talking to each other. It is a little complicated. I'm hoping in the future it can be simplified. That'd be nice. Uh, uh, It would be very nice because I think we're all sick of being on the phone for an hour and a half, but um, we've got to do it. And we're very lucky to have these things in Australia to help pay for these sorts of expenses. But uh, yeah, jump online, fill out the form, see if you're eligible. And stuff like the family tax benefit as well, that's available for families as well. Um, so yeah, jump on to MyGov, have a look, um, fill in the form, see what you're eligible for. Um, and likewise, actually maybe Becky might be able to share a little bit about like super options because superannuation isn't guaranteed necessarily for, for, parents who take parental leave. Um, but there might be some
0: ways that, you know, you could supplement that. What are those, what are those options? Beck? Oh, it's a conversation that needs to be had. So in its current form, the government paid parental leave doesn't include a superannuation benefit. So that isn't on the table. Uh, If you're eligible for paid parental leave from your employer, it may or it may not because uh, paid parental leave from the employer is optional. So, it really depends on the rules of their scheme. If it's not included, I highly recommend asking if they can include it because if you do not ask, you do not get. So, there's an awareness of those considerations. Then there's considering within your own family what you want to do about it. Because whether it's topping up uh, superannuation contributions from a period that you're out of the workforce, whether it's that parental leave or part-time work going forward, there's there's really two ways of going about it. So one, you can put extra money of your own in to replace what you've lost. So that's uh, an additional contribution. You could be made as a spouse contribution, in which case there's tax offsets available, or it could just be made as a regular contribution That strategy works really well if you've got cash lying around. But in my experience, most people, this is a time when your income's the lowest and your expenses are the highest. So a lot of people are quite hesitant to put additional money into super at that time because it's very much a button down the hatches kind of vibe. (laughs) Uh, So there is an alternative. So that's called uh, contribution splitting. So instead of putting extra money into super, you can effectively redistribute the contributions that a partner or a parent who is is working and is getting contributions made into their super fund, you can redistribute that so it's more equitable within the family. So that means as a household level, there's no extra money inside the super system, but it means that the balance between the two parents is fairer. So this is something that I don't think enough people are talking about. It is quite simply a form that you need to submit to the person's super fund that is That has the money and you're trying to move it out Um, and having a spirited conversation with your partner about what you want to have happen both during that parental leave period and then any period where someone is working less than full time or a reduction of what they were doing pre-baby is is very warranted because they're... There doesn't need to be a direct financial penalty for for giving birth and and raising a child. Unfortunately, as the system currently stands in its default mode, that direct financial penalty is very, very real. Uh, So, raising it, you know, Google contribution splitting, raising it with your partner, have have a conversation. Uh, I would really say, here, don't ask. Speak freely about this is what I believe should happen within our family because, um, likewise, I'm not asking to my husband like, can you have the baby? It's like, well, that actually is just not how it works. But mm. likewise, um, I'm not saying can I have some of your superannuation. I'm saying, hey, this this is compensation for, for the work <laughs> that I'm doing, um, <laughs> and it you know. Good luck to the person who tries to say no I'm not on board with that. <laughs> well, and
2: that's it this is this is where it comes down to your goals as a family unit. This is what what do you value? How do you want to how do you want this time to look? And that's not just, you know, how many kids do you want to have? It's like how do you want to manage money? Don't be scared to have that conversation because if you want to have kids, the only one who can birth the children
0: is mum. <laughs> Unless you have the advantage of being two women in the relationship, in which case you can potentially um, yep. sh- shift shift the scales. But yep. for the rest of us mere mortals, um, it is biologically already decided, and and so um, we have to we have to work around the, those parameters. But it it is incredibly important. It speaks to. It speaks to security. It speaks to the fact that there's a, between a 22 to 35 percent gender superannuation gap, uh, as of the uh, I think it's 2021 information that ca- that came out as KPMG report, um, and that is exacerbated then by you know, less than full-time work for for a carer, um, of someone with, with young children. So having this conversation now and continuing to have it for as long as you are making, you know, professional or career compromises for the sake of your family, have the conversation again and again and again. Um, also, if you're listening to this and you've got a seven-year-old and you're like, ah, I can promise you the ship has not sailed. You know, these forms that you submit to a super fund, they're not, they don't care why your contribution is sweating. They're not tying it to an actual period of parental leave so you can retrospectively pay catch up. um, That's amazing. Yeah. So it's, it's relevant, relevant to each financial year you know, you're subject to contribution caps, making sure you don't have too much money going into your super fund. You know, you can't take more than 100%, I think, or even 85% of what your partner's put in. So look, there, there's some parameters to play within. Um, but if you had three kids 10 years ago and you're like, hey, I've got 20 grand in my super fund and you've got 200, then, you know, perhaps spend the next four financial years evening <laughs> evening that up a bit.
2: That's it. That's it. And if, you know, for information about this, there's lots of stuff online, but you can also talk with your super fund directly and say, Hey, how does this work? Do you know,
0: where's the form? Can we check it out and have the conversation because it's an important one to have. Yeah. And it it builds so much confidence. It builds so much security and it really sets the tone for, you know, the, the balance within your relationship as you're growing your family, uh, so that things don't compound. We know, we, everything we do is compounding, whether it's for good or for evil. That's it. So so making these really proactive uh, decisions and taking action now so that the good things can be compounded over the next 10, 20, 50 years. That's right. That's right. I love it. Okay, well, this has
2: been a great chat. Thank you so much, Beck, for sharing your experience and your knowledge, I guess, to help people know what to do next because growing families is such a big thing. It's such a big part of people's lives. So I guess our key takeaways, our key takeaways would be things like, you know, if you can set up cash buffers, you know, start doing it now, do it early, um, put some cash away to relieve pressure. Um, Beck, anything that you think people could, could go away and do right now
0: to get started in this area? Yeah. In addition to saving the actual cash, know what your household cost to operate now and, and an estimate of what it could look like going forward, looking at your insurances. So not necessarily health insurance on its own, but thinking about your personal insurances, your mm. life cover, your income replacement, getting on the front foot with that because we don't know what, uh, what might evolve in your health specifically over you know the, the months or years to come. That's it. And, you know, call your local hospitals and
2: get a sense for their vibe. See where you're comfortable, where you would like to go. If it's the public hospital, great. If it's the private, great. Go into a tour, go look in the rooms, go ask the questions. Don't be afraid to go and get to know, you know, who could be helping you deliver these babies. Uh, Read up on things like paid parental leave, dad and partner pay, childcare subsidy. Family tax benefit. Head on to Services Australia website. Read it. Um, read up about you know super splitting. Head on to the tax website. Uh, call your super fund and go. Hey, what do you do in this area? You know, how can we do super splitting if that's something that you want to do? You know, talk to your employer. Get a sense for what their policies are for leave as well, and whether they top up any maternity pay or super pay. Have those discussions as well. Don't be afraid to say you know this is a goal of mine, and I'm. I'm I love my work here but I you know this is something that I want to fit in with what I do with my role so lots of great things Um, if you have any thoughts or comments or tips from your own family experience share them in the Facebook group because people ask these questions all the time in our community and we learn from each other Um, there's probably things that we've missed again we're only speaking from our experience Um, but yeah to all the parents out there we salute you to all the future parents out there we salute you as well and we wish you a good night's sleep and um yeah share your stories with us as well because we love to hear it thank you so much beck and uh hopefully we'll see you back here on the show again absolutely thank you for having me (laughs) all right see you guys